Hello, this is Tim Conboy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Good morning. Kiddos, splito. All right, kids, get out of here. I mean, go on now. Go to children's ministry. Have fun. Leave us here to this guy preaching. Wow, we got a pile. Where did all these kids come from? Oh, good morning. These guys do an awesome job, don't they? Give it up. Give it up. These little young buckaroos. Johnny Bravo. You guys are looking chipper today. I'm not really sure what chipper is. I know what a chipper is, but so I'm not sure what that means when someone looks like, they say, you look chipper. Does that look like I went through the chipper or what? But anyways, you look good today. Good morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20. At least I am. You can go anywhere you want, but I'll be in Acts chapter 20. You know, my back has been killing me lately, and my one leg seemed like it was longer than the other. But somebody prayed for me and ministered to me, and I'm up here going, oh, yeah. Feeling good. I knew I shouldn't have lifted up that lawn tractor yesterday, the one without the tire. You know, and they're like, and I'm like, oh, that's not smart. And, uh, anyone ever done stupid things before? Yeah, yeah. Oh, good, four of us. Four of us have. <laughs> All right. Balcony people, how are you up there? Hey. We are going to be looking in Acts chapter 20, and I'm going to open in prayer, but when we work through this, we're going to kind of go back and forth from the text to maps, because we love maps, right? Yeah, give us maps. And so we'll be looking at maps today. Good to have my special friends with us visiting today. Don't look at them. They're in third quadrant, second row. Lauren and Cindy. Yeah, Lauren and Cindy. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, just... We just come before you and we, we are blessed beyond measure because we serve a God who blesses and blesses beyond measure. You're so good to us, Lord. And Lord, we know it's not because we deserve all these blessings. We aren't blessed because we're good. We're blessed because you're good. And so, Father, you are a good God, a good Father. We love you, Lord. We bless you this morning. We ask that your spirit would just minister to us. I'm always amazed, Lord, at how you know each of our needs. You know those that may be hurting. You know those that are struggling. You know those battling fear. You know those that are just weary and wore out and tired. Lord, you know those that are doing great and excited. You know where we are emotionally, but even more important, you know where we are spiritually. And Father, we don't always realize that it's how we are spiritually that affects us even more emotionally and physically. So, Father, help our spirit to do well today. Help us, Lord, to just be strengthened in the Lord. And, Father, we just commit our time to you. We want to worship you with our hearing, with our listening, and with our application. And we just say, Lord, our hearts open to you. Do what you want in our lives. We commit ourselves to you, and I just ask you'll preach through me, Lord. May your heart be spoken through my voice. And, Father, I ask you'll hide me behind the cross and just... Just show us Jesus as you work through your text. In Jesus' name, we all pray this. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. 
Amen. Oh, by the way, two of the most frequently asked questions today. I probably should answer them for you now. It'll save you from asking me later. This thing on my nose is not an extra nostril growing in. Everyone's like, what happened? Did your wife pop you in the nose? No. I was introduced to liquid nitrogen. Then they burn in another thing here. You know what they... You know, the doctor's like, oh, you got a precancer cell here. Let me shoot you with this thing. It looks like a fire extinguisher. So anyways, but, so that's fun. So that's what the mark is. So, no, I'm not, uh, I've not been injured. Thank you. The other frequently asked question is, have you been out hunting this year? I bet you 12 people have asked me that. <laughs> no, I haven't been out yet. I'm waiting for them to get a little bit bigger. And so, uh... Hopefully next week or so I'll get out there. So anyways, so though there's your answers. Now we can all go home. Amen? All right. Oh, by the way, I was getting signaled back there. Ricky is reminding me that if you have a gluten intolerance and need gluten-free wafers for communion, they're right in the back on the table. So just, you know, when you come in, just pick up, grab one. Help yourself, and uh, that's your public service announcement. So you that have suffered from the GMO ravages of our day, they're there for you. I guess we're all suffering, but anyways. Okay, we're going to be in chapter 20. Oh, editorial note. Last week we were talking, or two weeks ago, we were talking about Temple Diana, and that Diana is the goddess of hunting. She is the Roman goddess of hunting. This temple that we're speaking of, even though it's translated into Diana, the, the actual Greek word would, would transliterate into the word Artemis, the goddess Artemis. And Artemis was a fertility god, and also that was her primary role, is whatever your role is as a god, small g. And she was secondary role as a goddess of hunting. So because of that, they just translated it Diana, which means goddess of hunting for the Romans, but it's really Artemis. So now that you know that, you can sleep better, right? It's been bugging you for two weeks. Amen. That's right. Bud, Bud, who was uh, raised in Greek Orthodox, he understands these things. And so he he helped uh, take care of it. So anyways, I said, we need to address that. So it's addressed. We can move on. I got a little postum. See? It says Artemis. So So I said, I had to tell you. All right. We're ready? All right, chapter 20, verse 1. Where'd you come from? Don't everyone look at him. Don't want to make him embarrassed. (laughs) Okay, after the uproar had ceased. What uproar? You remember the previous chapter? Remember Paul's preaching, all these people are getting saved, nobody's buying the the little temples that the silversmith, i.e. goldsmith, was creating. And then he gets mad and they say, hey, our old business is going down. I've got to have to file bankruptcy. And they, they got a whole crowd together. They wanted to get Paul and tear him limb from limb. But they got a couple of his uh, companions. They went into the theater and, and remember, someone was going to speak up. But for two hours they shouted, great is Diana, goddess of the Ephesians. Great is Diana. For two hours they did a shout down. You would think you were at Berkeley or something. Great is Diana. They wouldn't let him speak. This uproar, then, remember the clerk of the court came in and told, hey, you guys need to settle down. 
Well, that's what's happened. And now, verse 1, after that uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Matt, please. Thank you. The circle about in the center is Ephesus. That's where Paul is right now. That's where they had the big uproar. Paul had already sent uh, Eurastus and Timothy up to Macedonia and on the trail there to let him know he's coming. And he's going to go to Macedonia, far left corner, which is on the continent of Europe. And he's going to go to Macedonia for the express purpose of raising a love offering for the people down in Jerusalem. The believers that were in Jerusalem, remember there was a drought going on, there's no food. It's hard enough for uh, the Jews that lived there to survive, but it was compounded if you were a Jewish believer. Because now they wouldn't let you uh, have a job. They wouldn't hire you if you were a Jewish believer. Uh, They would not frequent your shop if you were a shop owner. So it was even harder for them under this drought situation. So Paul uh, is going to go and take a love offering of the churches there in Macedonia and Greece to go back to Jerusalem to help these believers. So he departs from Ephesus, a little circle, and he goes north to Troas, sails across uh, to Philippi. He's going to cut through Macedonia, which means he'll go down to Thessalonica, down to Berea, and then he goes down to where it's green. That's Greece. Back in the day, Achaia, 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 yeah, you, however you, a couple people helped me pronounce it correctly. So however it's pronounced, I just call it Greece. It's all Greek to me, right? So he's going to then go down and he's going to spend three months in Corinth, the city of Corinth. That's where he writes the book of Romans. He's going to write to the Roman people, the believers. He's never been to Rome, but he's going to write to them. And he says, man, I really want to come to you, and I'm going to. But first, I'm going to take this offering back to Jerusalem and help them out. So three months he was there in Corinth, he writes to the Romans. Now, let's pick it up back in our text. Verse 3. No, or verse 2, rather. Now, when he had gone over the region, that's of Macedonia, and encouraged them with many words... He came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So here's what's happening. He's down at Corinth. He's ministering for three months. He's doing good things. But there are all these other... Now, it says Jews. Remember, Paul's Jewish. Most of the new believers are Jewish at the time, as well as Gentiles. But when it says Jews, it's talking about the unsaved religious Jews. We saw the chief high priests and so forth, and the chief priests of the synagogue and gathered people. They were the ones that were the rabble-rousers and get the rent a riot, you know, to go in and go after Paul. So he's down there. They're plotting to kill him. They're probably like, man, when he gets down to that dock, before he gets on that ship, we'll bag him. Well, isn't it God cool to reveal that to Paul? He tells, he goes, by the way, here's their plan. They're over there plotting and planning. <laughs> We're going to get them. And the Lord says, okay, exit a different direction. And so instead of sailing over to Ephesus, which would be easier, he goes north and, and retraces the track or the path that he came down. Now, he decides to go back through Macedonia. Verse 4. And Sopater of Berea. Now remember, Berea is up there in Macedonia. Accompanied him to Asia. That's where Ephesus, the province of Asia. Also, Aristarchus 
And said, no. Yeah, that guy, the second guy. Said, good. I could say these words perfect, even with a Greek accent in my office. But that guy, the other guy was from Thessalonica, one of the Thessalonians. And Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, who was also he was actually from Lystra, and Tychicus, what a name, and Trophimus. He was a Trophimus. You know, these I thought about laying out all their names and let you know what they mean. Like Sopater. Sopater, that's kind of interesting. Pater is Latin for father. Sopater is savior of the father. That's kind of interesting. Timothy means honored of God. So a lot of these guys had really cool names and, and they kind of had spiritual meanings until I got to Trophimus, which means nutritious. <laughs> All these super spiritual names and then, oh, this is my friend nutritious. It's like, okay. Well, so now you know at least what Trophimus means. Nutritious. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. Map, please. Macedonia, before they crossed the water, that's Philippi. These men that were mentioned here in in, uh, verse 4, these six men crossed over to Troas. And he said they waited for us. Who's the us? Paul and Luke. Luke, who's writing the, the book of Acts. So they stayed back in Philippi while the other guys went down to Troas. Now, verse 6. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days joined them in Troas, where we stayed seven days. It's kind of, I'm like, okay, Lord, why are you saying that they're there three months, and then they, you mentioned unleavened bread, then you mentioned we're there five days, and we say there are seven days. So he goes, he doesn't go in years, he's going in months, and he goes in days. Well, it's interesting, in verse 6, he talks about they celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is right after the Feast of Passover. So they celebrated Passover in Philippi, which is fascinating because Passover is one of the, the feasts that they were supposed to celebrate down in Jerusalem. But they celebrate it there in Philippi. However, he's then going to journey down to Jerusalem. And by the time you get to verse 16, they're heading to Jerusalem. It'll say, if possible, to be there for the day of Pentecost. So how many days after Passover is Pentecost? 50? You guys are quick. The first group is like, mm, can we take a, get a hint? And so I had to help them through it. But you guys, man, 50. 50 days. So from Passover, 50 days later is Pentecost. So now the Lord starts breaking it down. He says, okay, you know there's Passover. They've sailed now for 50 days or, then, or five days. They're then going to spend seven days, and they still have more of their journey. So they have a lot of ground to cover in about a month and a half. And when you're walking it and taking ships across the Mediterranean, that takes a while. So he's letting us know the time frame on the calendar. Now, verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week. What day is the first day of the week? Sunday. Today. It's the first day of the week. They started their week. And so it, some were struggling that first service. That first service crowd, I'm telling you. I had to reference a calendar. See, the first day, that's Sunday. And then you go all the way through the calendar, and the end of the week is Saturday. Now, in a Jewish economy, they work six days, and then they worshiped on the seventh day, which is Saturday, a.k.a. Sabbath day or day of rest. 
Now it's interesting, under the Old Covenant, they worshipped on the Sabbath day, the sixth day of the week. Now there's some today that will try to tell you, oh yeah, you've got to be worshipping on Saturday. But in the Scripture, the early church did not worship on Saturday. They worshipped on Sunday, the first day of the week. It became known as the Lord's Day because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead and started the New Covenant. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's awesome. You know what's interesting? If you count out seven days and then add one more day, that's eight days. Yeah, that's wild. Eight is a number of new beginnings. So it's just kind of interesting when you go and the seventh day rested, but then there was a day of new beginning. Jesus rose from the dead. So the believers would worship on Sunday. Now here's what you need to know. Sunday was still a work day for them. They didn't get laws passed to get it off yet. So they still had to work all day Sunday. And in the Latin culture, uh, you know, remember Rome is Latin, you understand that, and Roman Empire, they would work most of the morning they would take a break, usually in the heat of the day, and then they'd come back to work and work evenings. And so when we look at this text, we're going to see them in a worship service. It's not like it started at 8.30 in the morning on a Sunday. It probably started like 8.30 at night on a Sunday. So pretty much their evening services um, took place after they had a full day's work. That will help you understand what's going on here. What's that for? Amen to evening service. We'll see you there. Evening service. You know evening services did not exist in America until the invention of the light bulb. The late 1800s, when light was invented in the cities, churches were some of the first ones to have electricity and thereby have lights, which was quite a novelty. And so people would gather out and they have a worship, or they would have an evangelistic service Sunday nights. Sunday nights were really designed to reach the lost. Isn't that pretty amazing? Because the lost would come out like, wow, this is cool. Hey, come to our place. we got lights. Like, what's a light? Come here, we'll show you. And so they brought them out, and lo and behold, they used it as evangelistic service. So now we know. Andy needs to get saved. He can come to an evening service. We'll, uh, we'll take care of it. <laughs> many, many years. As you know, I'm a recovering Baptist, so we had evening services. Three services a week. That was, that was a long day for me. Preached two times in the morning and evening. I like it now. I'm a recovering Baptist. Where were we? Oh, yeah. Verse 7. They came together the first day of the week. Disciples came together to break bread, communion. And they probably had a meal with it, an agape feast. And Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. I think we could break that record. No amens. Okay. Now, verse 8. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. Isn't it funny, the little things that God tells us in His inspired Word? He goes, by the way, in case you're wondering, there were a lot of lights in that room. Why would He tell us there were a lot of lights? Now, we're not talking LEDs that are non-thermal lights. We're talking candles and porches that gave off heat, BTUs, British Troy units. And as the heat was given off in these lights and they're jammed in an upper room, where do you think would be the best place to get the most air and to be nice and cool? In the window. A teenager figured that out. Verse 9. 
And in a window sat a certain teenager, I mean, young man, named Eutychus, who was sinking down, sinking into a deep sleep. He didn't just doze. This rascal is out of it, man. I mean, he is sinking down into a deep sleep. And Paul continued speaking as if he never saw him. And he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. We're going to do a reenactment. We have one of these windows open. We need some. <laughs> Let's see if we can do this. I mean, so there's, here's a teenager thinking, man, I'm going to go sit in a window. It's so hot in here, all these lamps. He's got a nice breeze going on, that breeze feeling good. And next thing you know, he goes to the land of Nod. He goes the way of Cain. And off he goes through the window, out the window. Now, if I were preaching here, and I, I would assume the window's in the back, and Paul can see what's going on, and all of a sudden, Paul sees someone drop out on him. Probably no one, just like you guys don't know what's going on in the lobby when they walk through and make faces at me. You don't see that. They probably had no idea. Paul's like, Ugh! and off he goes. And it says, but Paul went down. It didn't say they all went down. It says Paul went down. And he fell on him and embracing him said, do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him. Man, that's, that's I mean, Paul, oh, oh man, there goes Eutychus. He runs down. He falls on him, and the guy's dead. Now listen, if I fell out a window, and I hit the ground, and I take a dirt nap, I better be dead if you're going to jump on me. If I'm laying there with a broken arm, don't jump on me, all right? But if I'm dead, go ahead, jump on me. Pray, pray I'll come back to life. And so Paul does. I can see him down there. Runs down, oh man, he goes three stories, running down the steps, finally gets to the bottom, runs out there. Man, I did this. i got to wake up. Come on. And the Lord gives his life back. And I can see other people looking out the window. And he's like, nothing to see here, folks. He's fine. His life is back in him. Don't you love this text? It's like, it is rich. It was actually through this text that I realized that I am a better preacher than Paul. <laughs> Paul could not put him to sleep until midnight. And it was only one. I have put three to sleep in less than a half an hour. I'm telling you, I... I said, I, I have topped that. I put a kid to sleep in a second row one time in New York when I was preaching. That rascal was out. He wasn't a kid. He was a young man. I mean, he was out. He had his old drool going on. It was the rainbow of that drool that caught my attention. I went, I see. I go, what is that? And I figured I'd put him to sleep, so I had to wake him up. And I, you know, the preacher goes, and then the Word of God says, you know? You know how they used to do that? I think you love that. It's like Christian jolt. And they just go, oh, oh, oh. And it's amazing how they can just, like, did everybody fell asleep? You, know, you want to fluff their pillow? Here you go. Lay down. All right, back to our text. Now, when he had come up, so he runs down, brings the guy back to life. That's pretty awesome. Runs back up, and he's like, hey, guys, what are we going to do? It says they broke bread and had eaten. So they had a midnight snack. They also, the, here it's, it's kind of, it's not just a break of bread like communion, but here it's like a meal. Now notice this. And talking a long while, even until daybreak, he departed. You thought he only preached till midnight until the guy dropped out the window. That was just halftime. 
He then came back, got a meal, was ready for another six hours, and he preached right until the time to go to work. And they all got up and went to work. And Paul headed to Macedonia. I love this day. Or no, headed to Ephesus. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Don't you like how Luke says that? Like earlier, they were not a little distressed. That means they're greatly distressed. They were not a little comforted. That means they were really comforted. They were thrilled that this guy is alive now. I mean, if you're going to sleep in church, you don't want to be known for your sleeping. You want to be known for being raised from the dead. You go, yeah, it was me. <laughs> Fell out a three-story window. Boom, hit my coconut. I was gone. But God brought me back to life. Yay, God. Amen. It's like, that's off. I would love to have been Eutychus. I know that's weird, but I, I mean, I, I could walk through Troas thinking, <laughs> how many of you guys have done that? They're thrilled. And Eutychus got a new reputation. And, uh, you know, I look at this text, and I, I, I'm amazed that we have 12 verses. And in, by the way, the title of my message is, A Trip, A Fall, A Long Sermon. Now, we're going to cover those three points. I'm amazed that Paul is in Ephesus and travels all the way up to another continent, all the way down to Greece, all the way back up through Macedonia, all the way back over to Troas. And it took months and months to do this. And yet, God takes this entire trip, compresses it down to a few verses, six verses about the whole trip. Six verses. And then six verses about one sermon <laughs> and one night. <laughs> because to me, it's like the Lord saying, I have got to tell you guys about this. You future Christians are going to read this. You get a kick out of this. Let me tell you what happened when Paul was preaching one time. And it's just funny to me how God inserts this into the Word of God in the midst of this whole journey, you know, the big third missionary journey of Paul. And God, I don't know, does it strike you as funny? strikes me as odd. It's like, that's <laughs> how so the Lord says. All right, I'm not going to get into great details about his trip, but I'm going to tell you what happened when he got back to Troas. And so he condenses all of this time into these 12 verses, and half on the trip, half in the, in the service. But when I look at this trip from a 40,000-foot view, and we look down, God doesn't tell as much details in here, but through all this, you know what I see? I don't see the, the journey itself. I see the man that was on the journey. I see the Apostle Paul through all this. And I think sometimes Paul gets a bad rap when it comes to his personality. I've read commentaries that, that even in the commentary are thinking, wow, this guy's a theologian and he, he's talking about Paul having a, a hard personality or, or being callous at times or, or, or being cold. And I'm thinking, is that really Paul? When you look at the Scripture, you see that this isn't Paul. Uh, the Bible paints a different picture of the Apostle Paul than even some of our theologians today paint. They see some hard verses that Paul writes, and they translate that into meaning Paul is a hard person. He's got a hard heart or a callous heart. They look at Paul, and we think of Paul as someone who's stern in his character, ultra-focused in his mission. We look at Paul as a guy that's a driven guy, all business, you ever met those people? They're just all business. Have you ever had someone ask you how you're doing? 
And when they ask you how you're doing, it might be polite, but you know it's very superficial interest. You know what I'm talking about? Now, these are people at other churches I'm talking about. But they ask how you're doing, and, you know, you can say, well, my arm fell off yesterday, and, you know, all the, and they're like, uh, oh, okay, hey, well, let me tell you about, and you're like, really? You're, it's such a custom in our day. Hey, how you doing? Oh, great, fine. And we give a superficial answer, and the problem is both parties in that equation are usually content with that. Superficial question, superficial answer, let's go about our superficial lives. But you know, when you really stop and drill down, and you ever had the person that says, how are you? And you just give them the basic, polite answer, and then they stop and they say something really crazy, like, no, really, how are you? I mean, how are you? How, how are you hanging in there? How are you holding up? Have you ever met those people? You could tell a difference, can't you? You could tell a difference. When I look at Paul, we are given the impression sometimes that he's the guy that just says, hey, how are you? And he doesn't care. And if you tell him about your problem, he's going to tell you about 10 of his problems instead of just stopping and listening. I'll tell you, you know who's my role model that I really try to emulate and watch and learn and, and see how this person does it? It's my wife. Let me tell you, my wife, and not just because she's watching, she said she's going to be streaming kisses from Virginia. Hey, honey. But when my wife talks to someone and she wants to know how you're doing and you just give her the pat answer, she will stop and drill down. Not to be intrusive, but she's genuinely concerned about you. And how can I help you? What can I do for you? And, and I'm like, how do you think of those questions? She'll ask questions that I'm like, man, I can't think. I, I say like, hey, how's the weather today? <laughs> Great. When we look at our text here, Paul is that type of person that, you know, he, he just injects himself into people's lives. It was a huge blessing. In our text, and actually even the chapter before, one of the first things I noticed about Paul is, is Paul was an initiator. He initiated things. And he initiated because of his heart. Do you remember in the previous chapter, Paul sent two guys on ahead of him to let them know that he's coming and they're going to take a love offering for these people in Jerusalem that have no food and they're out of work and life is tough and everything's coming down on them and they seem like they're not even wanted in their own country. And Paul's heart goes out for them. And Paul looks at this and he says, you know what? We need to do something about this. It was the Apostle Paul who had the idea to send ahead and take the first ever love offering that we see in Scripture. It was Paul's idea to do something to try to relieve those who are hurting down in Jerusalem. There's a lot of people, I'm sure, that knew there were folks in Jerusalem hurting. I'm sure there were a lot of there in, in Ephesus that were believers that knew about this. But Paul could not just sit back and do nothing. Paul said, you know what? We've got to do something here. We, we've got to do something to help these people. And, you know, when I just think of that fact, that he initiates this whole relief fund, man, that tells me something about his heart. His heart wasn't all about him. His heart wasn't all about just stick down to business, be driven and, and plow through this. You know, he stopped. He says, you know, his heart was about hurting people. And he says, how can I help relieve that? 
And it wasn't about just go down there and preach some good theology to them. He says, no, they need help. They need some money to get some food. They need some finances to make it because they've been unemployed because they can't work in Christians, Jewish Christians in a Jewish state. He saw this and he said, you know what? I'm going to take the initiative and I am going to help. Paul is far from being callous. Paul is compassionate. And that, that's amazing to me. Do you remember Paul before he changed his name when he was Saul? He wasn't Mr. Compassion. He wasn't the warm and fuzzy guy. He was the guy that was hunting down Christians and putting them to death. He was the guy that breathed out fierce indignation, the Scripture says. And so here's this mean guy that that was so antagonistic against Christianity. and, And God came into his life and transformed his personality. Aren't you glad that God can change our personality? I don't know. I'm glad if you knew me B.C., you would not have known me. That's why the Lord had to send who he did to lead me to the Lord, because the Christians were like, that guy is contaminating. They wouldn't come near me. But God interjects in our lives, and he changes us. And he takes that hard heart of stone, and he gives us a soft heart that's tender to his Spirit's touch. And because his Spirit is concerned about people, God's people should be concerned about people. And Paul's like, man, you know what? i got to take action. I can't just sit here and watch what's taking place. And I look at this and I say, am I an initiator? Do I take action? Or do I just see it and leave it for someone else to do? Do I just see the need and say, well, I'll pray about it. God will send somebody. Not realizing that maybe I'm the somebody. Maybe I'm the one that God wants to use. I'm like, oh, no, that's not my bag. That's not me. Am I an initiator? Or am I just one to pass it on and roll it to the next guy? Paul was an initiator when it came to actions. And you know, verse 1, he was an initiator when it came to affections. Affections. Now, we guys, listen, we guys don't like this word affection. It's like right up there with that word love. It's like, eh, you know, we're not all about the warm and fuzzy but this is affection. Verse 1 said, Paul called the disciples. He didn't wait for the disciples to call him. Paul, now think of this. Paul's going out of town. He's leaving. But in town, there is a huge group of people looking for him. There's a huge group of people that want to get their hands on Paul and tear him limb from limb. And you would think he'd stay on the low and, and keep a low profile and just slide out of town. But that's not Paul. Because Paul knows if he does that, people are going to be hurt, left behind. They're going to say, man, he just took off in the middle of the night, didn't say goodbye. And then... But yet, because of his great love for those people, he put his own life on jeopardy. He put his own life on a line, and he says, here is where I am staying. Come and see me. Listen, the news went out where he was staying. Those who were looking for him probably said, where is he staying again? Oh, good. But yet he wasn't worried about himself. He puts the word out. And the disciples came. And what's it say? Paul embraced them. It literally means to draw to one side and to hug. Now, I'm sure Paul gave him the man hug, you know. One hug, two pats. Right? We know that, guys. Right? No rubbing. Right? No whispering in the ear. Remember that Duluth commercial I showed you one time? How to hug a plumber? 
Look it up. It'll show you. But he hugged him. Wow. God could have told us about anything. But he told us about that. He said, I want you to know about this guy. Because a lot of people are going to think he's a hard, callous guy. That, that it's all about theology, not about the people. He goes, no, I want you to know this. He took the initiative. And he's the one that called to their side. And he's the one that gave him the hug. And he's the one that said he's going to miss him before he ever left. You know, I look at that and I say, man... Are we the ones that take the initiative to, to go be with someone, to, 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 to show affection, to love them? Or do we wait for others to make the move? Do we wait for others to call us? Do we wait for others to take the initiative? I was visiting a church one time in another state, another country. And I went into their fellowship hall on a Wednesday night. And there were all these people that knew each other sitting at the tables together. And there was this one table that had nobody but two people sitting at it. And they were both visitors. And I could hear at this one table people saying, Hey, who are those people over there? And the other one said, I don't know. They look like visitors. They look new. And the other said, Should we go sit with them? Uh, I'm already partway in my meal. So I'm not going to go sit with them. And the visitors sat there all by themselves in that fellowship hall at their own table. Can you believe that? I had to get out of that church as fast as I could. I said, man, I can't wait to get back home. Amen? That would never happen here, would it? You guys are awful quiet today. <laughs> we need to say, you see that person over there? You know what? I wonder who they are. I don't know. Let's find out. Pick our tray up, and we do this. Here's how it works. And you sit down and say, hey, I'm Tim. And they're like, hey, get away from our table. We want to be by ourselves. <laughs> no, they wouldn't do that. They'd say, hey, I'm Johnny, Susie, whatever. Take the initiative. God says to me, Tim, take the initiative to take action, to show affection. And the Scripture says, he who wants friends must show himself friendly. Isn't that amazing? He says, if you want friends, then you've got to take the initiative and be friendly. If you're a grouch, no friends. You're friendly? Friends. Right? That's what the Bible says. Take the initiative. Go show yourself. Hi, I'm so and so. I don't know how many times I, I, I hear someone say, Oh, I didn't I thought they were in a first service. I didn't know who they were. If you don't know who they are, whether first service, second service, or evening service, just go over and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm so and so. Glad to meet you. Painless. Amen? All right. Initiator, we need a giddy up. I lit him out early just to prove that I was not going to preach the midnight first service. He was an initiator, but he was also a rejuvenator. To rejuvenate, to make one feel younger, more alive, re revitalized. He was one, verse 2 says, that he had gone over the region and encouraged them with many words. Paul was one who knew many words, evident by his preaching in the next section. What's interesting is he went and he encouraged all in that region these believers. Sometimes we think of people in those days as just people on a page of Scripture. But the fact is, they were, they were just like you and I. They had their routines in life. They had their disappointments in life. They had their heartaches in life. They had their discouragement. They had their down days. They had days where they wanted to give up and just quit. 
That's why the Scripture says, Be not weary in well-doing. He was writing to real people who were getting weary. They were getting tired of doing the right thing. And every time they did the right thing, everything seemed to come against them. And the Scripture says, And let us faint not. Don't faint. Don't. It means to lose strength and, and just pass out and give up. He wrote to real people who were struggling. And the Scripture says that Paul went to these people and he encouraged them. He spoke blessings upon the people. He did it with many words. You know, that's amazing. It wasn't just like, hey, how you doing? Oh, man, terrible. I got fired since I got saved and this is happening and that's happening. He didn't just say, well... Let me give you some Christian platitudes. You know, and, and we just start laying them on there. You know, all things work together for good, you know. And we throw that on there, and you're like, yeah, boy, that really helped me. I've had people, it's like, Jesus loves you, and I'll be praying for you. Okay, see you later. Because, you know, we don't want to hear about all this discouragement in our life. But Paul doesn't just give them one word. He gives them many. He talks to them. He speaks life into their life. He speaks hope into them. These people had no hope, and He spoke hope into their life. They were discouraged. He spoke courage into their life. They needed faith. He spoke faith in their life. He spoke into their life, and they received these words, and it encouraged them. And I said, man, what a, what a guy to, to revitalize them. They were rejuvenated and revitalized to keep on keeping on. And I don't know about you, but people, even myself, we can get weary in well-doing. Amen? Ever, anyone ever get tired in life? And it, yeah. Anyone ever feel like you're at the bottom of an avalanche? And, and like, man, get these boulders off. You ever get to the point where you're just like, man, what am I doing? I, I think I, I, why did I get out of bed this morning? Some of you may be thinking that right now. Don't go the way of Eutychus. <laughs> We all get weary. And we need people that are out there that would encourage us, speak hope into our lives, speak life into us, speak encouraging, speak uplifting things to us. It's not about just commiserating with somebody who's discouraged. Some people get discouraged, and you know what we do? We get discouraged with them. Now I know, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. But there's a time to weep with them but we don't want to commiserate to the point where you next thing you know, they're discouraged, they're down and out, and we walk away and we're discouraged, we're down and out, and it becomes contagious. Have you ever noticed how contagious that can be? Instead, we need to be there through their discouragement, through their heartache, through their trial, and then, how can I help you? How can I minister to you? What can I do? And sometimes they say, just pray for me. Okay, well then pray for them right then. And, and not, just, not just be passe and not just commiserate and go through the same problem. Because it's like saying, I feel your pain, but as you can see, I have no hope myself to offer you. Paul, man, he just, he put it out there. And so I, I look at my life and I say, people have met Paul, they walked away with a spring in their step. They walked away encouraged and a little taller and their head back a little higher. And I say, how do people walk away from me? How do people, when they come to meet me and I talk to them, and, and my many words, and I can have many words, I know. But how, how, is, how do they feel when they walk away? They're like, oh, wow, that guy's a downer. Or do they, they go, hey, man, you know, 
That was a real shot in the arm. I, 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 could, I could do this. I'd go back at this. I look at Paul. I said, man, when they walked away from Paul, they, they had a spring in their step. And I'm like, man, I wonder how people walk away from me. A lot of that depends on how I talk to them. What are my word choices? What are my body la- What's my body language saying? What do I speak into the lives of people? What do you speak into your spouse's life? What are your words to your wife or to your husband? What are your words to your kids? Are they encouraging, uplifting words that just say, man, keep hanging in there, hang in there? How do you speak to your friends or your coworkers? Sad to say, sometimes we speak better to them than we do our family and our spouse. What are the words? Are people rejuvenated when they leave? Paul was the initiator. And Paul was also one that just rejuvenated you. He put a spring in your step, and he encouraged you to just keep moving on. And Paul was a motivator. He motivated others. God gives us six names of guys that came in contact with Paul, and, and, and they, they meet Paul, and he said, man, that's what I want to do. That guy's serving the Lord, and he's just going at it. I'm like, wow, what a, what a, he's on fire for the God. And he goes, I want to be like that. Paul will say to them, be followers of me as I am of Christ Jesus. We say, don't follow men. Well, if they're following Jesus, follow them. Right? Because it's not about the man, it's about the God that's in front of them. And, and as they're following Jesus, Paul says, follow me. And there are these missionary men, and went. And the scripture says that the whole world is turned upside down. People heard the gospel saturated through this whole area. Not because of one guy, Paul, but because of all the ones that came alongside him. Paul was a motivator. And let me tell you, if you want to be on fire for, for the Lord, hang around with people that are on fire for the Lord. Go rub elbows with them. I'm not sure what that does, but I heard it. You rub elbows. It's my rotator cuff that's ripped. I'll have to rub this elbow. <laughs> rub elbows. You, listen, you, you find a Josh Arcoli, and you go start, start talking to Josh, and I'll guarantee that you'll see how on fire he is for evangelism. You'll walk away and say, man, I need to evangelize someone. I need to give the gospel to someone. You don't have to hang around, around him long. You don't have to hang around Melissa Tapman long to feel the flame of her heart for people that are struggling with addictions. You hang around Jenny Ziegler, let me tell you, it won't be long. You'll feel the, the worship just flows through her. And you'll say, man, that's awesome. You need, to, you need to build up that worship. Hang out with someone that's a worshiper. You, you don't have to be around Larry Crabtree long to find out he believes in a God that heals. Man, I want to believe in a God that heals. Hang out with someone that believes that. You, you don't hang around Eva Aubrey long to say, man, God really answers prayer. Seek out people that are motivators and rub elbows with them. Hang out with them. I like motivators. Listen, I would rather be energized to action than neutralize to apathy. Right? There's plenty that will neutralize me to apathy. Say, oh, yeah, whatever. Kick dirt. It's easy to be neutralized to apathy. But I need the ones that are going to motivate me and energize me to action. Because I don't know about you, but I looked over my shoulder and I realized I have more days behind me than I have in front of me. It seemed like three years ago I graduated from high school. Probably acts like it too, right? <laughs> it seemed like just yesterday, like, man, how did I get here? I'm almost old, you know. I'm like, 
I'm thinking crazy thoughts. Like, I wonder how much Social Security I'll get. What am I thinking that for? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden it's gone. And you're like, man, here I am in life. I don't need to be neutralized right now. I need to be energized. I, I, I need that spiritual shot in the arm and say, man, keep going. Keep running that race that's set before you. Paul was that motivator. He was an initiator. He was a rejuvenator. He was a motivator. And of course, he was a sermonator. We see the sermon he preached. We don't know the text. We don't know what he talked about. But I love the fact that here these people worked all day and they come out and they listen to Paul. Paul shares the Word of God. And it's such a humorous text. He shares the Word. Eutychus goes out the window. He drops dead. Takes a dirt nap. Paul goes down there, down all the flights of stairs, jumps on him, prays over him, raises him back to life. God is a God of miracles. Amen? They just saw this in their worship service. They're looking out the window saying, Look at Eutychus. He's back on his feet. And they're freaked out. They're loving it. It's like, this is awesome. And so then he brings them back up and they were not a little comforted. They were thrilled to death. And they were so happy. And, and here's the amazing thing. That Paul, after preaching, he goes on to preach all the way to the morning, till daylight. Now I bet you, some of you listening over the internet think that would be crazy. That would eat up all my data plan. But that tells me something about Paul's heart to say, man, I could talk about God all night long. How long can you talk about God? How long can I talk about God? How long can you share what God's doing in your life? How long can you go on just, just boasting on God? But then some, I mean, just, just boast on God. Just brag on God. Let me tell you about God. Paul said, man, I'd go all night, brother. And he did. He went all night. But what amazes me is not just that he was a sermonator, because in the text, I mean, you can't see, but in the Greek, when he went down for Eutychus, it actually said, he said, I'll be back. That's what it did. And he went down and he came back up, it says. <laughs> what strikes me is not just that he was, could just go on about God, but that these people at Troas, <laughs> man, they were crazy, weren't they? They stayed up on a work night all night long. I, I know people freak out when it's 8.30 at night. This is a work night. i got to get out of here. Like, just stay here all night and go to work. That's all you got to do. That's what they did. Interesting, when Eutychus dropped out the window, I probably would have said, whew, that's a good time to get out of here. You know, there's a break in the service, everything, all the commotion. It's time to go home. But these people didn't break out and go home. They said, man, we got to hang out. This is awesome. This is a God thing just happened here. We want to hear more about God. And then Paul said, okay, I'll tell you more about God. Man, what a heart for the things of God. And that's what I want. I want a heart for the things of God. I want a heart to be able to just brag on God and talk about God until people are like, okay, okay, enough of the God stuff. I got to go. I got to get to work. I want a heart that's so in love with Jesus that it's almost all I talk about. I need God to give me that heart. I'm so grateful for him that he says in his word that it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I love that verse. Because when I don't have the will, when I don't even have the want, God works in me and God gives me the will to do it. And then God gives me the ability to do it. And that's where I say, I pray, I say, Lord, 
I need you to I need you to make me a man of God. I need you to make me a man of prayer. I need you to make me an encourager. I need you to make me a motivator. I need you to make me an initiator. I need you to make me a rejuvenator. I need you to do this because in my nature, I don't want to do it. In my nature, I don't feel like doing it. In my nature, I'm too tired of doing it. But God says, but I'll do it, and I'll do it through you, and you can do all things through my Son, Jesus, who will strengthen you. Aren't you glad that He that began a good work in us will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad for that? Can I get a witness? All right, three of us. I'm glad for it. Because I know Tim, and I know left to myself, my old New York attitude would come in and say, eh, whatever, take care of it. But I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy who says, here I am, Lord, use me to encourage, to uplift. And by the way, just because it may seem like weeks have gone by and everybody should be fine and healed and all that, doesn't mean it's so. we got a lot of hurting people in our church. A lot of them. I just got off the phone last night with Brian and Kim Thompson. You know, their son was killed in Afghanistan just middle of August. Still, still reeling. I think just even now reeling. They made a great observation to me. They said, when you're at work all week, you got to suck it up and just keep going. You got work to do. You can't fall apart. He said, but when we get to the weekends, it's like all of a sudden the flood just, and they let it down. And then they come in here, and we see them just ask how they're doing, superficial. And we forget how much they're hurting. They're hurting a lot. And praise the Lord, you know, just seeing them today and giving them a hug this morning, reminded me, it said, you know, we need to keep remembering these folks. Give them a call, check in on them, send them a note. Ask God, Lord, what words of encouragement can I say to them? Corey and Michelle, Caleb going to glory. You don't think they're still hurting? Let me tell you something. I know they are. We need to remember these people. Because someday it's going to be our turn. And we're going to need it. So we need to do unto others what we would want them to do unto us. Amen? So, enough said. Should I keep going? Should I I take it to midnight? Yeah, I can hear you. I hear you. I hear you. You say, go for it. We got to go, but have fun. Father, we love you. We bless you. Lord, how good are you? You are so, so incredibly good to us. Father, right now, I believe that there are folks, even like we mentioned, that, that, that are hurting inside. And there's pain inside. And I know, Lord, you want to comfort them and you want to wrap them in your grace. You want to draw them into yourself and just hug them. But I also know, Lord, that we are co-laborers, that you work through your people to express your love. So help us to be your hands. Help us to be your feet. Help us to be your heart, Lord. Help us to be your voice. That we can speak your words of encouragement to our brothers and sisters and let them know how incredibly loved they are of God and how much God is working and wanting to work in their lives. To let them know there is hope and that that you are the giver of hope. You are the breaker of shackles. You are the one that makes a way where there seems to be no way. You are the one that never leaves us or forsakes us. 
you are the one that gives us a song in the night. And though there's crying on our bed, Father, there's joy in the morning. You are the God that is always there for us. Help us, Lord, to be more like you when it comes to other people. Cut past the superficial encounters. And may people walk away from our presence with a spring in their step and a song in their heart. We love you, Lord, and we believe that you started a good work and you're going to finish it. We bless you and thank you for that. Move now in our invitation. If there's any here that's not saved yet, Lord, I pray today would be their day that ask Christ to be their Savior. If there's Christians that they know they're saved, but maybe they just need some healing. Maybe they just need prayer, someone to pray for them. Lord, would you use us to pray for them? Father, we had a word before the service that someone's here with a bad foot. Whoever that person is, Lord, I just let them know that you know and that you're calling them to prayer. So, Father, move in our service now as we just commit ourselves to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. As our ministry team comes, maybe you need prayer today. Maybe you say, you know what? I just need to leave this burden at Calvary. I just, I just need to give it to God. We are called to pray one for another. Let us pray for you. Ministry team, folks will be here to pray. You just come. You need healing. Let us pray for that healing. Maybe you're the one with the bad foot. Let us pray for your foot. Let us pray for your heart. Folks will be here. You probably. Ministry team, elders, people that pray, if you could come. You come. Now let's pray. Let's give it to the Lord. You come. Today is the day. Now is the time. You come. You got a burden to let go of? Give it to the Lord. Now is the time. Give it to Him. Everything I need. We'll pray Follow for you. Jesus, we need prayer. Let us pray. Don't, turn back. Don't put it off.